This evening we're going to look together at Psalm 91, and I want to begin by reading the opening words of the psalm. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Well, perhaps last year when uh, we first uh, realized that uh, there was a, a pandemic coming, no doubt we looked at various parts of Scripture, including the Psalms, to find help and encouragement in them, in the prospect of what lay ahead. And it seems to me that it's also helpful now, as it seems for us at least in this country, the pandemic is easing, uh, to look again at those passages and to reflect upon our experience uh, and to do so in the, in the words of the psalmist and the things that he has to say about God, the God in whom he says he trusts. Um, perhaps you've come safely through the pandemic. Perhaps you've had the virus. Uh, perhaps friends and family members have had the virus. Perhaps you've lost loved ones or you know of people who have died during the pandemic. But as you think about it, you perhaps think of the the government and the decisions they have made to try to protect lives. Um, you've thought about the vaccines and the access that we have to them, which is such a wonderful privilege. And uh, you've thought about perhaps the things that you have done in order to try to keep yourself safe and your family safe. But I wonder whether your overwhelming impression is that the Lord has fulfilled his promises, uh, that he has fulfilled his word, words like this psalm as he he speaks in very relevant terms about the deadly pestilence, about the plagues that come. And uh, to have realized that, that this God is a God whom we know and trust not only in times uh, of great need, but all the time. And uh, that it is our privilege to, to dwell in his shelter, to rest in the shadow of El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, because sometimes we, we know things with our minds. We, we perhaps can quote scriptures. But, but it's another thing to experientially live in that reality. And to say, well, yes, I am dwelling. I am resting. I am trusting in him. Because it's not purely an intellectual thing. It's, a, it's part of our experience. It's a reality of our daily life. And it's also part of our testimony to those who don't know the Lord. Uh, we know that many people around us have been anxious and distressed and still are, people who are afraid. I sometimes walk on the canal near where I live and uh, uh, there are people sometimes who still walk as far away from me as they can possibly get. And presumably that's because they're still anxious about catching the virus. And uh, we have a testimony to bear, and we'll see how the psalmist deals with that too, because he not only speaks about himself, but he also has things to say to other people. Um, he says, I trust in the Lord, and then he says, surely he will save you. And uh, so the psalm speaks not only of our security, but of that security in the Lord that we can commend to others. This psalm doesn't have a particular setting, as many of the psalms do. It's timeless. And it's brought great comfort to believers in uh, every age and generation. It speaks of the security 
of God's people who are under his care and under his protection. It's a psalm for times of danger and distress, when we feel exposed and vulnerable. And uh, it reminds us of, of God himself. And so first of all, we've got a believer's testimony. A believer saying, well, this is where I am. And he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He's my refuge. He's my, my place of safety. And, and, and these words, dwelling, resting, abiding, uh, speak of a peace and a tranquility. If you've ever been caught in a sudden storm, and you're out in the open. You look for somewhere, don't you, to go to, to find refuge. And perhaps you see a little place, perhaps a little hut, and you run towards it. And as soon as you get into the little hut, it might be a very basic uh, thing, but uh, the wind and the rain is no longer beating upon you. And you found refuge, and you found a place to be until the storm has passed. And the psalmist is speaking about this great truth and his personal vow of confidence in God. He uses a number of names for God, and each of them is significant. It's not just simply a title, a label. Each of them speaks about who God is, the God we know now in the Lord Jesus Christ, become even more real than it was to the psalmist. He speaks of him as the Most High, El Elyon, one of the names by which God made himself known. He is the high and exalted God, and there is none who is like him. He, he's not like the idols of the nations, figures made out of gold or silver or precious stones or wood. He is in heaven. He is exalted. He is high over all. And so the shelter that we have is this great God, this exalted God. And then he calls him the Almighty, El Shaddai. And uh, again, a very significant name, Almighty God, omnipotent. Nothing is too hard for him. God had made wonderful promises to Abram and to Sarah uh, that, they would, that he would bless them and he would make them fruitful and he would build them into a nation and through them all nations on earth would be blessed. But they waited a long time before their son Isaac was born and their faith was tested was God's word true? Could they trust him? And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Isaac hadn't been born yet. And this is what he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. You can imagine and you know that Abram and Sarah asked questions. Well, what's happened to this child who's going to be born? And perhaps their thinking was, well, Sarah's getting older, Abram's getting older. Is it possible for God to do it? And so God just reveals himself. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And there are times, aren't there, when we need to know that, that the God we believe in is almighty. All things are possible to him. And then I will say of the Lord, capital letters in our Bibles, because it's the covenant name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the unchanging covenant God, the God who's made promises, the God who redeemed his people out of Egypt 
and set them free from slavery. When Moses was being told to go to Egypt uh, to set the people free, he he asked the question, suppose they say to me, uh, who has sent you uh, to us? Uh, What is his name? And God says to him, I am who I am. And uh, this is what you want to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord. This is the covenant name of God. The God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And you shall call upon me from generation to generation. And later God also tells Moses the same thing. I am the Lord capital letters, and I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will set you free. So it's a name full of significance for the psalmist, because it speaks about the great redemptive acts as God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. And uh, then he says very simply, my God. It's a personal thing. It's not just simply that God is the most high. He is, that he is almighty. He is that he is the God of the covenant, which he is, but the psalmist says, this God is my God. In all his wonderful attributes, he is the one in whom I am trusting. And of course, all these names of God uh, are filled out wonderfully in the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes, the eternal Son of God. Thomas professes, my Lord and my God. He is Jehovah Jesus. He is the one whom the Old Testament has pointed to, and in him the gracious God, character of God is revealed even more wonderfully in the great redemption that he accomplishes when he dies on the cross. And uh, so as Christians, we, we look to this God and we say he is our God, he's my God, and I'm trusting in him. And so the psalmist speaks about who God is, And then he speaks about that security which we can know in him. He's dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty. He is my refuge and my fortress, uh, my God in whom I trust. And, And the whole picture is one of strength and safety and also tender care. The great power of God is exerted towards those who know him and trust him in a a tender way. Uh, He is most wonderfully kind. And the psalmist is saying that he's put his trust in the Lord. Is that true for you this evening? That you've put your trust in the Lord, Not, not just because there's been a pandemic. Perhaps that has been a time when our trust has been increased and renewed. We've looked to him, we prayed to him, and he's heard our prayers. But There was a time in your life when you went to him and you put your trust in him for the first time. And uh, you did it consciously and deliberately. In the book of Ruth, we're told about how uh, Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons uh, left Bethlehem and went to Moab in a time of famine. And Elimelech and uh, the two sons who had married Moabite women all died. And Naomi was left on her own, and she decided, because things were now better in Bethlehem, to go back. And uh, as she's going back, she has these two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and uh, she says to them, well, you know, there's no point coming back with me. 
You can't find another husband for me because I'm old now and the Lord has dealt harshly with me. And uh, Orpah goes back, but Ruth doesn't. Ruth says, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to go with you. And there's that lovely statement that she makes, uh, which Naomi recognizes she can't really contradict. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. She's seen in Naomi and in the family their knowledge of God. She knows what the gods of Moab are like. And she says, no, I'm making a definite decision uh, to go with you. And your God will be my God. That's often the way in which God speaks to people, doesn't he? He shows the reality of a Christian's life, a believer's life. And uh, people say, I, I want to know the God you know. And I want to follow him. And so she goes back to Bethlehem and she cleans in the field of Boaz, a relation of Naomi's. And uh, he's told about her that this is the Moabitess. She's a stranger. She's an outsider. But she's come back to live amongst us. And uh, Boaz speaks kindly to her. Uh, He says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Then he says this, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's what she'd done. She'd come to the Lord, the God of Israel, and she'd come to take refuge under his wings. Conscious decision that she had made. And that's part of what it means, isn't it? To be a believer, to come to God because we're weak and we're vulnerable and we're needy and we come to take refuge in him. And the psalmist is saying that's what he's done. He is my refuge and my fortress. He's a a place of strength and protection for me. And uh, have you come to the Lord? Is that who the Lord is to you? Has that who the Lord has been to you during these months, these long months of the pandemic. And it's a good thing, isn't it, like the psalmist sometimes, to reaffirm our trust in him. It's good to do it when we're experiencing his goodness, or if we're in times of danger, or when we step out to serve him. You know, sometimes we get into situations and we're going outside our comfort zone, but we we trust him and we ask him to be with us. And it's then we need to know what the psalmist speaks of, that God is great, that true God is great, and uh, that we are trusting in him, and we know that he can meet our every need. And so the the psalmist begins by uh, stating his own testimony. He is my refuge. But then he goes on to say in verse 3, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And verse 9, if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge. And that's an important thing, isn't it, about knowing God. That, that our faith in him and our relationship with him doesn't stop just simply with us. I think it's possible sometimes for Christians to speak about the Lord's goodness to us in a way which implies that, well, we're okay. 
He's looking after us, but he's not concerned for anybody else, but God is. And he's gracious to, to the peoples of the world, to the nations of the world. Think of yourself this evening, perhaps living in Afghanistan. If you had access to the scriptures and all the things that are happening there, and all the dangers and all the problems that are coming to read this and to find out that not only are these things true for the psalmist, but the psalmist is saying that what he knows of God, you can know too. And uh, to pray to him, to put your trust in him. And the you in all these verses from verse 3 is, is singular. It's talking to individuals who are to put their trust in the Lord. Because the psalmist speaks about the dangers of life. Life in this world is perilous. There are all kinds of things that come to us. And uh, they attack our bodies, they attack our minds, they affect us in all sorts of ways. They're literal. Uh, and perhaps these things are speaking also of dangers uh, that are wide and vast and perhaps you are conscious of being vulnerable to them. He'll save you from the fouler snare, from the deadly pestilence, uh, from the terror of night. The night is a time, isn't it, where we particularly experience fears. Uh, sometimes when it's dark and uh, our resources are low and our minds are vulnerable, all kinds of anxieties come to us. And of course the night is a time of danger as well because we cannot see those uh, who may attack us. And then there's the arrow that flies by day. An arrow f which has uh, set out from a long way away and it flies and it, it hits its target. Didn't see it coming. And uh, so he goes on. And plagues and pestilence. And, and that's the kind of world in which we live, isn't it? Unseen dangers. It's been one of the things for people with the virus, unseen. Uh, sometimes people have symptoms who have it. Sometimes they don't have symptoms. You don't know they've got it. And that has increased the sense of anxiety and fear uh, in the hearts of many. And uh, against those sort of dangers, the strong are as helpless as the weak. We're all vulnerable in that kind of situation. And you, you think about modern warfare and the kind of weapons that are now used you think of missiles, missiles that are fired from planes or from boats or from land and they're fired from hundreds and thousands of miles away and they fly and their target has been determined and the people who are going to be hit don't know it's coming. Suddenly it hits them. Well, there are drones and drone warfare and again, unseen. And it's a dangerous place and, and people are vulnerable to these situations as we are too. And uh, so the psalmist is realistic about life. But he's sure of God's protection. In all these dangers, in all these problems, he's confident in God. He will save you, he says. He will cover you with his feathers. Uh, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He'll help you not to be afraid. We sang Psalm 23, a setting of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And uh, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. And uh, so he's confident that God is with him. And no harm is going to come to him in verse 9. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will 
befall you. And then he goes on to speak about angels in verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you. And uh, to guard you in all your ways. We don't think much, do we, about angels? Uh, we think perhaps about the devil, a fallen angel. But there are angels who, who are ministering spirits. Who, who minister to the, the saints and care for us in ways that we do not fully know and understand. And he, he not only speaks about safety, but he speaks about victory. In verse 13, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So these dangers that face us, we actually are overcomers. We overcome them. We're not merely protected, but we're able to triumph over them. And you think about that wonderful promise. What a, a wholehearted commendation of the Lord. It's a great example to us, isn't it, of what it means to testify to the God we have come to know in Jesus Christ and the wonder of what it means to know him and then to say, people, if you know him too, then all these things will be true of you as well because our God is great and his promises are wonderful and nothing is too hard for him. There's nothing timid or uncertain about the psalmist's testimony. And you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he met the needs of people who came to him. Many of them came to him. And he healed them all and he cast out the evil spirits. He even raised the dead. And uh, he met the needs of people in a most wonderful way. Uh, when a leper came to him and uh, begged him, if you, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we're told Jesus moved with compassion, said, I am willing be clean. And so God is able to defend his own against seemingly inescapable dangers. We have so many stories in the scriptures, don't we, about that. The people coming out of Egypt have come and uh, Pharaoh decides to follow them and really to attack them and to kill them. And they get hemmed in by the, the Red Sea and by the mountains and by the Egyptian army. And it seems as if everything is up with them. And then God simply moves the cloud and puts the cloud between them and the Egyptians. And then he opens the Red Sea. And uh, they're able to pass to safety. And the, uh, the, the Egyptians are overwhelmed. Nothing is too hard for him. You know, we get to situations, don't we, sometimes where we say, well, I can't see how the Lord can sort this out. But if we're resting in him and trusting in him, we need to have confidence in him. Because his care is personal. And it's exact. And it meets our need. In verse 7, when the word you is there, it comes at the end of the verse. But in the original, it's emphatic. That means it's earlier on in the sentence. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But you, it will not come near. They're in the midst of a battle. People are falling one side and the other. But you, you who are trusting in him, will be kept safe. And Jesus encouraged his disciples, didn't he, when he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And then speaking about the persecution which his disciples will face. And there are Christians today facing persecution. Persecution from their loved ones, from their nearest and dearest, because they have come to faith in Jesus. 
And he said, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. And people in Muslim countries, for instance, who have put their trust in the Lord, those words speak to them. And they stand firm under the, sometimes the greatest of pressures because they believe the word of God and they believe that they have found eternal life in him. And we can do that too and be sure of him. And to do it cheerfully and gladly and not to be afraid. There's that wonderful account in the book of Daniel of those three young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, an idol of gold has been set up by Nebuchadnezzar and the command is that when they hear music they're to bow down and worship the idol. And then some people say to Nebuchadnezzar, you know there are some men and they're working for you and they don't do what you have commanded. And you've said that if, uh, if anybody doesn't do it, well they must be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, he asks these three men, Shadrach, Mish, and Abednego, is it true? But you're not bowing down to this idol. And they say, no, we can't do this. This is literally what they say, King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, which God can save you in that situation? And they said, well, our God can. We want you to know that. But then they go on, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They take their stand. They're cast into the furnace. Those who throw them into the furnace die. So fierce is the furnace, heated to seven times its normal heat. And then when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he sees the three men and one like the son of, God, of the God in the furnace. And they come out safe. And Nebuchadnezzar declares that the God of Shadrach and Meshach, Meshach and Abednego is the true God. These men were faithful to him. But notice they said, he's able, but if not, we're trusting him whatever may come and are confident in him. And uh, there is also, as the psalmist says here, the, the protection of, of angels, the heavenly host commanding his angels concerning us. You can think of other examples in, in the Old Testament and New Testament. Elisha, the city where he is, surrounded by the Syrian army because God has been revealing to Elisha what the Syrian army is going to do and they're trying to take him out and uh, one day when his servant gets up in the morning, he sees uh, the armies of Israel around, an army with horses and chariots. And this is what he says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And uh, Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Jesus said, I will be with you. I'll be with you always. He, he sent his spirit, his spirit who dwells in our hearts, 
who will be with us forever, the spirit of truth. Are we confident in that? The, the real moment-by-moment -moment protection of all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or think about Paul traveling to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar and they're saved from a storm and they land in Malta. And uh, the, the people are trying to help them and they're, they're gathering wood for a fire and, and Paul helps with that. And uh, as he's doing that, a, a viper, a snake, is driven out by the heat and it fastened itself on Paul's hands. And the islanders look at it and they say to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he's escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. And then they watched. They wanted to see if he would uh, grow bigger because of the poison. Or perhaps he'd die. And when he didn't, they decided he must be a god. Such was their blindness. But you see again the Lord's protection. Perhaps you can think of times in your life when the Lord has protected you. And we must never doubt him when we have taken refuge in him and when we're dwelling and resting in the shadow of the Almighty. One of our hymns says, In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear, and safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be laid. But God is round about me, and can I be dismayed? What a wonderful thing it is to, to rest in every situation, uh, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, in the shadow of, the, of El Shaddai, God Almighty. And the psalmist is saying, if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. You see, we've got to test me to bear to people, haven't we? Are we doing that? It's possible sometimes, isn't it, to think just of ourselves, especially in times of danger, but to want to reach out to those who are in need. Uh, one of the things which the early Christians did, as they lived in a world where there were often plagues, is when a plague came, they went to help uh, the unbelieving people around them. And the pagans ran away in fear. And they left the people with the disease to themselves. But it was the Christians who went and uh, ministered to them and treated them and helped them and fed them and cared for them. And it was a wonderful testimony to their experience of God's love and God's grace. And it's possible, isn't it, for us to have a, a testimony of the gospel that is in, in word only in that sense. It's not lived out in practical care, even at risk uh, to ourselves. And so the psalmist speaks about his own testimony. And then he commends his God uh, to those around. And then as the psalmist comes to an end, he, he speaks about God's promises, the pledges that he has made. Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So here there are promises that God makes. The psalmist speaks about his own faith. Then he commends his God to those who are listening to him and urges them to put their trust in the Lord too. And then God himself speaks. 
And uh, he's speaking about those who love him, and those who, the sense is those who cleave to him in love, those that, who come to him in need and in danger and in vulnerability. And he says, I will rescue him. I will protect. He'll call upon me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him, I'll deliver him. I'll satisfy him with long life and my salvation. What wonderful promises there are to those who put their trust in God. God himself gives those promises that he'll deliver, he'll protect, he'll answer prayer, he'll be with us, he'll honour us, he'll exalt us, he'll give us immortality and glory, he'll save us. And also there's that sense of the last day and the security of the Christian. And that solemn reality in verse 8, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Think of Abraham looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw. He'd interceded. He'd interceded urgently and passionately. But judgment had come. And in that last day, when all people are before the Lord and when he separates the sheep from the goats, it will only, we'll only see it with our eyes uh, and we won't be embraced by it. And then as I draw to a close, the, these things that the psalmist talks about, these promises, have already been demonstrated in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil knew this psalm and when Jesus was being tempted, he quoted it. He took Jesus uh, to uh, the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And then he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, he says, why don't you test it? Why don't you see if it's true? And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is true. I don't have to put myself in danger willfully because I know the word of God is true. And then we're told that the devil left him. He'd been 40 days without food and drink in the wilderness. And angels came and attended him. Yes, angels were promised. Not so that he might throw himself off the temple, but so that he might know the care of God in a real and a practical way when he was here on earth. And that was especially true, not only in his time of temptation, special temptation, but also the last night when he went to Gethsemane with Peter and James and John. And uh, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he went about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an answer came as an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. He will command his angels concerning you. The ministry of angels is a, a wonderful ministry, a source of great encouragement. The Lord Jesus knew that at the end of his temptations, the end of his time in the wilderness, as he prepared to go to the cross, these, these heavenly beings came and imparted strength to him as he willingly submitted to the Father's will. Where is he now? Well, he was obedient unto death, death on the cross. And now he is exalted to the highest place. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. 
And so in our times of test, our times of weakness, the Lord ministers to us. He sends angels to help us. And one day he will bring us, as we thought this morning, into his presence with rejoicing. And so there are these wonderful encouragements in the psalm. They encourage us to consciously dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, to rest in him, to take refuge in him, to find safety in him, and to put our trust in him. And those promises will surely be fulfilled. And that peace which passes understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And perhaps some people say to us, as they see us in, in times of great stress and difficulty, how is it that you're able to cope? You seem to have a peace. And we're able to say, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with me. In fact, it may be a total surprise to us that we've been able to cope with that situation. It's all to do with him. It's all to do with the Lord. It's all to do with his promises and his great love for me in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to urge them to find the same peace and the same security. Because whoever they are, they too can know this same Lord and Saviour. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn and sad. That's when we came. We came to him with all our need. I found in him a resting place. Is that your testimony? And he has made me glad. Amen.